You're listening to the Paradigms Perspectives Podcast. Have you ever wondered, there has to be a better way to achieve my dreams and to achieve my goals and do it in half the time and half the stress? Well, that's exactly what we do on the Paradigms Perspectives Podcast. We give you tools, strategies, resources, insights, and different perspectives on different areas of your life. We also cover current events that are going on in the world as well to help you achieve those dreams and goals and half the time we have to stress. On behalf of the Paradise of Perspectives podcast, I would like to say thank you for taking the time out to listen to this podcast and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back for another episode. And in today, we're going to be continuing with the three-part series called Generational Development Warfare. Now, there's a current warfare between Gen X and Gen Z. And if you haven't listened to part one of this series, please go back and listen to part one before you listen to part two, because it'll give you more contextual reference. So let's get right into it. So, the first segment for this episode is going to be you go to school so that you can learn. So, Gen X is advocating the strong need to the millennials and to Gen Z and saying, hey, the reason why you go to school is so you can learn. Now, the boomers stress that to Gen X about the importance of learning, especially since, you know, dealing with the past of, you know, African-Americans being enslaved here in America and just school was always the opportunity. Now we have the internet and new technology stuff where you don't necessarily have to go to a formal education or formal institution in order for you to learn, but going to school was always seen as the opportunity for a better life. So, and and I think that formal, no, I think that self-education is greater than formal education. Let me say that one more time. I personally believe that self-education is greater than formal education. Because you can have formal education and still not be as successful or achieve the dreams or achieve the lifestyle that you want. And you can have no or very little formal education and still be very successful. So it happens all the time here in America. But typically, uh, when you go to school that you, you can learn, you can start straight out of high school, which is up to 18 here in America, you can just jump straight into your career. And you jump into an industry or you jump into a career, that can be your school. Going back to what I just said, not everybody went to a university or or um, or college here in America. Some people just jump straight into it. So um, that's a very uh, possible, or as we may say, con- traditional route to go to school so that you can learn. The next is uh, trade school. And the trades are very important. 
And I think here in America, especially during the pandemic, that is something that a lot of tradesmen and tradeswomen did very well because, you know, trades are things that, you know, we need for everyday life, you know, an electrician, a plumber, you know, um, an engineer or an HVAC technician who manages the heating and ventilation of a dwelling. So uh, that's very important. Then you can also go to uh, what we call a community college or a state college in which it's, it's like a university, but on a smaller scale. You know, some people may just need to go community college and that may, that may work for them. Or now they're called state colleges where you can, you know, you don't have to go the whole four years plus um, to, to go to school to learn. You can get a certificate that sometimes you can complete in uh, six to 12 or even 24 months. Or you can get a certification at a state college. So uh, that's another alternative as well. Then, of course, you have the university level, um, which is the traditional. Usually, if you want to kind of go into corporate or, you know, some type of uh, office job or business or maybe even some high-level leadership, you know, then usually you will go to a, uh, a university. And then you also have the alternative education where, like I said before, you can go get um, certifications, but you can also get more advanced certifications and certifications that uh, provide curriculum on a deeper, more philosophical and strategic level. And then, of course, uh, you have online. You have accelerators, you have experts, you have coaches, you have consultants where, you know, you can use the online university, a.k.a. the Internet, uh, to go to school so that you can learn. So, um, quote, unquote. So, I mean, so I don't necessarily think the actual school destination is important, but I think knowledge and learning is very important, and it can have a profound effect on your career and your lifestyle. Continuing with going to school so that you can learn, which is very, very important, which is personal finance. Personal finance is very important. And like I said, especially here in America and in the black community, we have so many opportunities. Now, unfortunately, we don't take advantage of all these opportunities. And it's funny because I was just having a conversation with my barber yesterday because I just went and got a, a, a new, fresh haircut. And he's also from the African-American community. And we was talking about personal finance. And, you know, I was just asking him about, you know, why he feels that, you know, African-Americans here, especially in America, why we have such a hard time with, you know, personal finance and building wealth and stuff like that. And he said that it's because of our environment, it's also because of our program. And I, I believe that to agree, I mean, also to environment is very important. And going back to the uh, 
masterclass that I did uh, on life advancement, you know, I talked about that, about, once again, the frustration with my parents, you know, especially for personal finance, the environment that I was in was that you spend all your money and you have fun. You, you, you spend for pleasure or you spend so you can get a dopamine rush. And like I said, I come from two social parents who both was very good at spending money, but not necessarily good at saving money. And how I had to thank goodness for me having consciousness and having a high level of self-awareness and consciousness to want to change that. Because like I said, I had to be inverse learner because I didn't like the results that I was getting. And me being a curious individual, I wonder, okay, hey, I don't like the way my parents do finance, so I don't like the results that I'm getting. If I did the opposite, what would happen? And it was a huge breakthrough for me. And I started realizing by me doing the opposite of what they told me to do, I started having great results. That was my dopamine fix. So then I started doing the opposite. But yeah, he's right. Environment is very important. And this is why parenting is so important. Now, like I said, it's not the end all to be all because your parents are supposed to take you so far. You're supposed to continue your journey. But it's very, very, very important. So the first way that we can learn about personal finance, which is a, which I can't believe it, but it's such a underutilized and disrespected medium is books. There's so many books on personal finance. It's not even funny. I mean, Warren Buffett, who grew up in Omaha, Warren Buffett became so prolific in finance and especially personal finance because he was so curious about the stock market and money and how money works that he had read every book on finance and personal finance in the Omaha library system by the age of 12. He was a voracious reader. He still reads over 100 pages a day now, I think in his late 80s, early 90s. So he had a huge head start. Books are so important. Why are books so important? Because you're learning from somebody else's experience, number one. Number two, it's a nominal cost. And number three, it saves you on time. Like Tony Robbins says, you want to turn decades into days. That's what books do. You can pay 20 to 100 bucks for a book for somebody that had to go out and get that personal experience. You ain't got to do that. You can pay to have access. And you can get it accelerated, especially considering time. Time is always moving. Now, shameless plug here, but even my book that I wrote on how to make more money and half the time or half the stress, it took me 12 years. Now, it's kind of ironic that there's 12 principles in the book, but it took me 12 years to learn those principles or to at least format it in a way for maximum effort or at least to stack or at least to stack those principles and those lessons one on top of the other to provide a framework to make it 
more succinct and more effective than for you to take in the information very well. It took me 12 years to do that. And I have it on Amazon for a nominal fee. You ain't got to spend 12 years. I already wrote the book. So for any of you that are wondering, okay, well, what's, what's the full name of the book? So you can go on Amazon right now, type in Mad Money, M-A-D-M-O-N-E-Y, and then the subtitle is 12 Foundational Principles to Make More Money in Half the Time with Half the Stress. But yes, books. I mean, even also to tell more of my story, from 2010 to 2012, I read a lot of books, a part of my personal development to help me overcome that mild depression. I mean, and in 2012 alone, I read 32 books. And out of those 32 books, over half of them was about personal finance. Now, granted, I've been very fortunate enough to, my background is in financial services from top to bottom. I was in financial services for 10 plus years. So I was in banking. I was in investments. I was in asset management. I was in commercial finance and even real estate too. So I saw a lot in those 10 plus years. And then even including my own insights and my own study and my own research. So books are books are very important. But a lot of people don't want to read because it's not sexy. Also, what we talked about yesterday with my barber about, you know, the whole education versus entertainment. Everybody loves entertainment, but nobody wants to put in the work for education. And then you want to know why you have a deficiency or why you have a lack. But also the important thing about personal finance is retention is more important than acquisition. I'm going to say that one more time. Retention is more important than acquisition, just like in relationships. When you have a romantic partner, it's not enough just to get them. You have to keep them. It's the same thing with your money. It's not enough for you to make a lot of money. It's how much money have you kept? Because you could have made a billion dollars in your career. But if you broke, or if you have less than a million dollars, people are wondering, like, well, what happened? You made over a billion dollars. But you broke? How does that? But that's because it was... You knew how to make money, but you didn't know how to keep money. I'm going to say that one more time. A lot of people know how to make money, but they don't know how to keep money. Next, uh, what you can learn personal finance through social media. So there's YouTube, there's Instagram, there's Facebook, there's TikTok, there's LinkedIn. So you can get... Your dope, the double dose of entertainment, and you can get um, education. Now, 
the unfortunate part about it is, is that with social media, the, the downside to social media is that social media can teach you how to be rich, but social media won't teach you how to be wealthy. I'm going to say that one more time. Social media can teach you how to be rich, but social media can't teach you how to be wealthy because people that are really wealthy and that really know the game, they don't put that stuff on social media. And not only that, the really, really wealthy people, most of them are not giving you quote-unquote game, as we say in the African-American urban communities, basically meaning like, you know, teach you about the high-level strategies and knowledge and teach you how stuff really works. Social media's not teaching you that. Like I said, they'll teach you how to, you know, be rich. They'll teach you how to make a million dollars. They'll teach you how to make two million dollars. But that's because they also teach you rich hacks and trends. They're not teaching you wealth strategies. I'm going to say that one more time. Social media will teach you about rich hacks and trends, but they're not teaching you wealth strategies. It's the whole tactics versus strategy type of thing. Wealthy people have strategies. And they follow the strategy. The tactics are going to change based on, you know, modern society. But the strategies is what will remain. Next way to learn about personal finance is digital publications, websites. So now you don't always necessarily have to. In the past, if you wanted to learn from financial people, and most of that stuff really wasn't ever really good anyway, but you used to be able to just order magazines on a subscription and they're military. Now they have the digital version where it comes directly to your email into your inbox. So you can find the best publications that you like and you can order a subscription and learn digitally online. But then of course my personal favorite is you want to get personal finance accelerators. Once again, for those who are not familiar with my accelerator concept, an accelerator is basically somebody who does that. They accelerate your they accelerate your goals and they accelerate your achievement. That's what they do in half the time with half the stress. So these can be mentors, coaches, consultants, trainers, and advisors. I'll say that one more time. Mentors, coaches, consultants, trainers and advisors so get you some personal finance mentors get you some coaches get you some consultants get you some trainers and get you some advisors now one of my favorites uh was mr pelicanos he was my uh, economics teacher in high school my my senior year and mr p was very important he was one of my uh, personal finance mentors. But not just to me, but to the entire class. 
And I talked about how, you know, he taught us about, you know, saving money, investing money, you know, how to be a good person, how to network. Like he taught us all of these things. He taught us about checkbooks. He taught us about uh, goods and services and pricing and economics. So the recap is we have so much information at our fingertips. So you can learn personal finance through books, social media, digital publication, and your own personal personal finance accelerators. Uncle Phil mentions to Gen Z that you live in the information age. So if I understand correctly, by him saying that we live in information age, meaning that, hey, look, this is the age of information. Anything that you want to figure out how to do is accessible at your fingertips because information is all around us. So because you have access to the information, you should be able to achieve and, and improve your life and potentially even maybe live your desired lifestyle. So basically saying there's no excuses because you have access to information. Now, I agree with him 100%. We do live in an information age. But here are some things that can be developed to help accelerate the Zoomers' uh, progress. Once again, as a millennial myself, and I believe also to the Zoomers, we're not asking for everything to be laid out for us. We just want a foundation or some guidance to get us started, and then we can adjust and learn on our on our way, uh, on our journey. So, the first thing I want to say is, yes, we live in the information age, but you have to develop resourcefulness. I'm going to say that one more time. Yes, we live in the information age, but we have to develop resourcefulness because information age by itself won't do anything. First of all, there's a difference between information and knowledge. Let's start right there because you can have information, but that information may not necessarily be knowledge. And then let's take it a step further. And then it's not necessarily the knowledge per se. It's the applied knowledge. So you have those three categories. You have information. You have knowledge, which actually provides some type of insight. And that can actually be of practical use or practical value. And then you have to execute or use applied knowledge to get a return on investment from that knowledge if that if that makes any sense so let's use the big three for example right okay wealth right let's say for example you get knowledge about saving money right so you find out this new knowledge about, okay, well, saving money is important. So you started saving money. 
the applied knowledge would be putting a quantifiable amount and a routine and consistency of saving. So if you decide to save, you know, $10 a week or $100 a month, that's being applied knowledge. And if you're able to do it on autopilot or through ACH, which is automatic clearinghouse, which is basically when you just set it up for your bank account or whatever financial institution or institution uh, is intermediary that you're using, their products or the service where it just automatically transfers. So that would be a practical way of being resourceful with this new knowledge that you find out that, hey, savings is important. Like I told you before, I was an inverse learner. I didn't really know about saving. I didn't have this new knowledge because all my parents did was spend money. So all I knew how to do was spend money. But then once I was curious, being the inverse learner that I am, I started learning about this important thing called saving. That was my new knowledge. And what I started also learning about was the importance of delayed gratification. So with saving money and delayed gratification, I started saying, okay, when I get money, at least 50% of all money that I get, I'm going to save. And I started doing that. Then on that, now hindsight of 2020, I also started compounding as well. So not only did I learn about saving, delayed gratification, and compounding, then I started to have like a quote-unquote piggy bank, as we say here in America, which is just an informal savings account or savings strategy. And my quote-unquote piggy bank started to grow. And I love seeing my piggy bank increase and grow. So the next part of the big three, let's say that... um health, right? So let's say about health, something that I, I love, sleep, right? So let's say you find out about all the, you get new knowledge about the benefits of sleep, of why sleep is important. And let's say you find out that sleep is important so that you can be, you know, you can be able to be more alert, more focused, you can have more energy to enjoy life the next day. So the knowledge could be, hey, you need to get, you, you need to get to bed early or you need to get seven to eight hours of sleep. Okay, cool. How can you apply that practically? You can say, hey, uh, I need to go to bed by 1030 every night. That's something practical that you can do. That's how you can make it resourceful for you. If you know that you be need to be in the bed by 10.30 every night versus just saying, okay, well, when I feel sleepy, I'll go to sleep. Or if you decide to say, well, you know what? I got time during the day. I'm just going to sleep four or five hours. And then you'll disrupt your natural biorhythms. And then relationships, right? So let's say you learn the importance of reciprocity in relationships. You do for others, others will do for you. 
So a good prime example, right? Let's say if you have a friend or a cousin that they need help moving, right? They need help moving. So you say, okay, I'm going to implement reciprocity. I'm going to help them move. You make sure you show up. You got the proper resources that you need to help them move. You help them move. And then let's say two months later, you're working on a project and you need help. And they tell you that they know somebody that can help you with that. Or somebody that may even want to partner with you on that project. They introduce you to that person. You and that person become good friends. I might even start on a project. That project may even to you two becoming business partners. And boom. But that was all because of reciprocity. That was all because of new knowledge that you've gained. So that is some ways that you can actually be resourceful with um, the, the new knowledge and information that you got. I know I keep repeating this, but I'm going to say it again. Tony Robbins has a great quote. It's not your resources, it's your resourcefulness that will make you successful. Because we've seen time and time again, we've seen people that grow up or in, in life, certain situations, they don't always have the best resources, but they know how to make the best of it. They know how to be the most resourceful. But we've seen people that had all of the resources or had a lot of resources and not know what to do with it, not know how to be resourceful with it. Which also goes back to my phrase that I coined, competency comes before compensation. And by you having, and the higher level of your competency, the higher level of resourcefulness uh, you can achieve. Next, create a plan. Yes, yeah, you live in the information age, but you have to create a plan. And I, I get it. A lot of people, and, it's, and you'll hear this from a lot of millionaires, you hear this from a lot of billionaires, just take action. The plan doesn't have to be perfect, just take action. And I understand this, right? They're saying it so that you don't sit around and waste time and procrastinate and by the time you sit in and try to, the plan has to be perfect. Then you can already achieve some results and you could have just adjusted along the way. This is why, for, okay, the first thing I'm going to say is, okay, yes. However, you do need to be more strategic because it's not enough just to be efficient. You want to be effective as well. You want to be strategic and sometimes taking a little longer time to actually plan this stuff out and be smart about it, you can wind up with a better result. I mean, quick story. I'm working on my second and my third book. I'm outlining my books. I've been working on the development for these two projects since April of 2023. We're getting ready to go into August of 2023, and I haven't even written a I haven't I haven't written a first draft yet. Why? Because I'm planning, I'm outlining, I'm setting everything up. It's like an architect 
in order to build a house, you need blueprints. I'm building the blueprints now. I'm building everything out. So I know how I want everything to look. So when it comes to, quote unquote, the first day of construction, or the first day for me to write a draft, I'm not sitting around waiting. I don't have, I won't have writer's block. I won't be wondering, okay, what am I going to do? How is this going to work? I'm going to be more productive. I'm not going to sit there and be waiting. This is also how you can get more product out. And you can do it more consistently. I won't be sitting around waiting and, you know, I write a book and then it's another three to five years before I come out with another book. Especially if I'm going traditionally published. But getting back to the whole plan thing, what I wanted to say is this. This is why I'm in favor of maps versus plans. I'll say that one more time. I prefer maps versus plans. The difference is when things go wrong, you don't want to throw the plan out. Number two, the map is fluid like Google Maps. It's easy for you to make adjustments. So it's kind of a little bit in the middle of it a little bit. It's not that you don't have no plan. And it's not that you over plan. It's a map. It's fluid. It's changed. It's, in, it's real time. It's easy for you to make adjustments. It's easy for you to execute. You can get real time feedback and make adjustments quickly. Not only that, it also takes more of your emotions about it. And it's all about accountability and productivity, AKA hustle and flow. For those of you that haven't had a chance, you can go back and look at my catalog. I did a episode on hustle versus flow and I talk about the importance of accountability and productivity. So, I would, yes, yeah, so I would recommend having a map, not necessarily a plan. And then the next thing, too, is that you have to strategize the execution of the plan, which is what I briefly just talked about. It's not enough for you to have a plan or for you to have a map. You have to actually strategize the execution of how that plan or how that map is going to produce the the desired results. Because like I said, a lot of people can have a plan, a lot of people can have a map, but they don't have the integration of the strategy of how that plan is supposed to be laid out or how that plan is supposed to produce certain results. Then you have this transformation gap well, we have a good plan, we have a good map, but nobody really laid out, okay, the strategies on what it's really going to take to actually make that plan or that map become a physical reality. And then, too, with also with the information, you need to, you need to compound knowledge and you need to compound results. So, the more knowledge that you're able to compound on top of each other and the more results that you're able to compound on each other and when you 
integrate those two together, that's when the magic will happen. That's when things will start to accelerate for you. That is when life can become really uh, fulfilling and produce a lot of happiness. Next up, Uncle Phil and Jenna says that you have to be your own savior. And I, I agree with that a thousand percent, especially now in this modern society that we live in today. It's so true. You got to save yourself. Your grandparents can't save you. Your parents definitely not saving you. And the government, no matter what, is not coming to save you. So the first thing that Uncle Phil mentions is he tells the Zoomers to stop complaining. Okay. Once again, I understand that, yes, you can only complain for so long. Like I said, if you're over 25 years of age, you have to start com stop complaining. I mean, the sooner the better. But also, once again, this is deflecting accountability. Just take ownership for it. If Gen X was accountable and they provided the foundation that they should have, then there really wouldn't be too much for Gen Z to complain about. I'm just going to be 100% honest. But this is where they start deflecting accountability as usual. But yes, you do have to become your own savior. After, like I said, after 25, you can't sit around the wall with my parents. They'll do this. My parents didn't do that. Okay, that may have been true. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do to change it? Are you going to sit there and use that your parents didn't do anything as, a, as an excuse? Or as a crutch? Or are you going to say, hey, you know what? I have agency. There's something that I can do about this. I can improve this. Now, warning. I'm not necessarily saying that this is right. But you could also use your parents as motivation, as fuel. And I know that may sound kind of dark. But use it as fuel. Use it as motivation. If you don't already have other motivation, okay. You say this information age, you're right. I'm on my own, you're right. Okay. It's time for me to go do it for myself. I'm going to go out and prove to you that I could produce better results without you providing that foundation. Now, granted, uh, now the other side is it too. You have to be careful of, and and this is maybe something you have to just be able to live with. Like Gary V says, sometimes you do want to stick it to your parents, but sometimes it's not always about sticking it to your parents because sometimes you could take that motivation and sticking it to your parents. You could take that a little too far. Now it could be detrimental to your health. So. I would definitely recommend that you speak with a medical professional regarding this, maybe even a therapist. Now, like I said, some motivation of using your parents as motivation is, is, is healthy, but it needs to be a moderation. It, need, it needs to be limits. It needs to be contained. 
Because you don't want those negative emotions to consume you. Next, Uncle Phil says to stop being lazy. Now, yeah, granted, I would agree. Even my generation, the millennials, and even the Zoomers, some of them can be classified as lazy. But how did they become lazy? It was their environment that was created by Gen X that en enabled this laziness where everything was always done for them. And then he also said about they should learn how to research things themselves. First of all, most of them were never taught how to research. Second of all, what incentive would I have to research things for myself when you've been doing everything for me ever since I was little? You never taught me about independence. You've always done everything for me. So now that I'm old enough to comprehend and have cognition and know that the results that you have been producing have been maybe satisfactory or below satisfactory now to have something to, to say about it and you're in your feelings and you don't want to take accountability now you're going to tell me go research stuff myself oh, okay well those results are not good enough for you then you can go research things yourself which this should have been a part of the strategy and the parenting from the beginning but like i said you have gen x who was a very social Generation, it's kind of hard for that. Now, see, the boomers was a generation of accountability. They knew they didn't have their parents, the silent or the greatest generation. They, they knew they couldn't really rely on them for too much, especially if their generation was the ones that experienced the Great Depression. So they knew they had to build a foundation and, and be accountable. And then it was going to be for Gen X to, uh, to, to grow the foundation. So yes, I just, like I said, I just think it's kind of ironic for you to say, oh, research things yourself when you never taught them how to research and you've been doing everything for them. But you're just going to say, oh, well, it's the information age, though. They should know how to research. They could go to Google and learn how to research. Yes, that may be true. But once again, just because there's opportunity there, that does not mean that people will take advantage of the opportunity. There needs to be some competency. But... There also needs to be some confidence. But before there's confidence, there's courage. But before there's courage, there's cognition. Before cognition, there's consciousness. But before there's consciousness, there's unconsciousness. But the way you but the way you get from unconscious to conscious, you did have a paradigm shift. In order for you to have a paradigm shift, you need to understand the paradigms and the perspectives. So this is all tied together. But also, too, you need to understand how people learn. 
Some of us are visual. Some of us are auditory. Some of us are kinesthetic, meaning we have to learn by doing. And some of us are analytical. So that's just my hypothesis. But Uncle Phil said, okay, we just go out and do it. Uncle Phil says like a very kinesthetic learner. He learns by doing. So he may or may not have the consciousness of understanding that, hey, look, there are three other learning types. So he may just say, okay, well, because he's a kinesthetic learner and he learned by doing with the whole research change yourself, that, that you should do the same thing. But you can't tell an auditory learner, hey, just go out and do it yourself because an auditory learner is going to seek out from people who can tell them how does this work. They don't learn by doing, they learn by people telling them things. They have to get enough, they have to hear it enough times. And people have to tell them how to do it. Especially a visual learner. You can't just tell them, hey, go research this. No, I need to see, I need to show me things. You gotta show me how this works. I need to see it visually, show me how this works. And then the analytical person is teach. You have to teach them how this works. So you have to show me how this works, which is the visual learner. You have to tell me how this works, which is the auditory learner. You have the kinesthetic learner that, okay, uh, I'm going to, uh, I, I, do, I do it for myself, learner. And then you have the analytical learner, which is to teach me how this works. So really quick, the visual learner, show me how this works. I need to see a picture. I need to be able to paint a picture. It's like a puzzle. I need to be able to visually see, okay, this piece goes here, this piece goes here, this piece goes here, this piece goes there. I need a framework. Or I need a strategy. And I need to be able to put the pieces together. So that's showing me how this works. An auditory learner is, you got to, okay, tell me how this works. And a lot of times it can be through storytelling. Okay, hey, okay. Our goal is, this is our goal. These are the steps that we need to take. These are the resources that you can use in order to achieve our goal, or this is what we're going to need to achieve our goal. That's how to teach me how this work works. To do it yourself, the kinesthetic learners, they see something, okay, cool, I'm just going to go out and do it. Because I need the physical experience. They're not just along the way. The teach me how this works, the analytical types, these are the people you're going to have to have the most patience with. Because you need to teach them how it works. You need to break down every single step. And you need to teach them how every single step works. Then they can go out and do it. And then they have the reference point. Then they have the competency to it. Now they know how to do it. So if there's 10 steps to a process, you need to show them how all 10 steps work. 
And if in, if in each step, there's 10 micro steps, you need to show them that too. They need to see everything. They need to know everything. So for you just saying, oh, just go research things yourself, there's going to be a huge disconnect, which should be the reason why they don't take action in the first place. Next up, Uncle Phil says that we have the admin of YouTube. So you can go to YouTube University, aka go to youtube.com, and the search on the courier bar, type in whatever you want to learn about, hit enter, and then you'll see the search results. Oh, yes, YouTube University has been very helpful, and we have been in the knowledge economy of sharing information and sharing knowledge. And yes, YouTube University uh, has been very helpful. But these are some things to take into consideration. Number one, discipline. Yes, that's right, discipline. You have to be also disciplined on what you watch on YouTube. Because a lot of things that are being consumed or even watched on YouTube, it's a waste of time. You know, a lot of people want to look successful without being successful. And the most successful people in the world, they produce. I'm going to say it one more time. The most successful people in the world produce, not consume. So it's good to learn. But a lot of people on YouTube, they just consume it. They're not producing anything. They're not doing any skills development or skills acquisition. And then they want to know why they're not increasing their income. Or why they're not improving their lifestyle. It's exactly that. You need discipline. Next, dedication. You have to be dedicated to learning it. Goes back to my six degrees of ambition where dedication is the number fifth level of ambition, is dedication. You know, but for most people, like I said, they have an idea, they stay there, or they may have interest in it, they may stay there, or they may even move to the third level, which they have a desire for something. Desire is great, but desire alone will not move the needle or produce the results that you see. You might even be committed to it, and that's great. But the difference between, and you know, you, you can still achieve good results with commitment. But it, like I always said, but the difference between commitment and dedication is that commitment is when you feel like it. Dedication is when you don't feel like it. Dedication is also when you're going through adversity. Dedication is also when you don't have the most energy. Point blank period, like I said, you don't feel like doing it. It ain't in you. You're not highly motivated. You're not highly inspired. You're not feeling highly ambitious or aspirational at the moment. But it's your habit. It's your discipline. That said, hey, you know what? We need to get this done. So let's just get this done. 
And then, too, with YouTube University, you have to take consistent action. You have to take consistent action. Do something every single day. And then also, too, uh, you have to take a course for deeper knowledge and application. Because YouTube is only going to take you so far. But this is also an investment coming in there. And I get it. I can already hear a Gen X saying, okay, Joe, I agree with you. This just all comes down to them taking accountability. If they want it, they should just go out and do it. Yes, that may be the case. But these are also things that need to be put in place. And our parents are our first teachers. The problem is with the accountability thing, especially with Gen X, is that it's hard for them to accept that they were average, mediocre, or even terrible teachers. I'm going to say that one more time. Gen X's problem with this message is that they have a hard time accepting that they were either average, mediocre, or terrible teachers. And as a millennial, and as Gen Z, I'll say it again, we're not asking for perfection. All we ask for is accountability. That's it. Just take accountability. You take accountability for it and apologize. We wouldn't even have this warfare. This whole warfare could be over with. If Gen X took accountability and apologize. And if Gen Z says, okay, now that I you took accountable, you, you be you remain accountable and you apologize, now I need to go out and do my own thing. Or I need to go out and make something of myself and take responsibility and not feel entitled, then this whole war could be over. But yeah, taking a course and getting deeper knowledge once again, or you can just get one of the accelerators. Find a mentor, a coach, a consultant, a trainer, or an advisor that can help you get this deeper knowledge and this deeper application. That's how you can, you know, can handle that. I did it. So can you. So... Uncle Phil and Genesis logic is if I had to do it, so can you. But why does each generation have to start from scratch or have to keep starting over? The purpose of generations is that each generation should build on top of each other or each generation should build from the previous generation. You should have to keep starting over and over and over and over and over again. Like I said, I'll go back to use the house knowledge again. When you build a house, that foundation should be anchored in. So you shouldn't have to always keep rebuilding the foundation, checking the foundation. You know, every every five years, you shouldn't have to replace the foundation of a house. That should probably be maybe 
once or twice, depending on how long you live in the house. But if you have a family that's been living in the house for 50 years, the foundation should be strong for majority of those 50 years. That's just, you know, my logic. Next, um, like I always talk about learning from previous generations, right? So as a millennial or as Gen Z, our generations, we should learn from Gen X and we should learn from boomers. Another thing that's very important in generations is life lessons, values, principles, standards. That stuff should all be passed down from generation to generation. If you notice, the most successful families in the world, that's what they do. They pass down principles, practices, values, beliefs, mindsets. They pass that stuff down from generation to generation. And that's how they're able to get ahead. But unfortunately, in the African-American community in the United States, we seem to be struggling with this. And we have been struggling with this for decades. And then another thing is, too, which which was an insight that I gathered from Uncle Phil's rebuttal, was that the truth comes out about sacrifice. It comes out. You can always tell when somebody's willing to sacrifice something. Like I always say, we say here in America, people make time for things that are important to them. So if it's important to you, you will make that sacrifice or you will make sure you get it done because it's very, very important. If you have been, if you have a relative that has a doctor's appointment and really need to go to this doctor's appointment and you and you have been tasked with taking them to the doctor's appointment, you're going to make sure you mark them on your schedule. You're going to make sure from the time that you take them whether that's dropping them off, waiting with them, or even taking them back home, you're going to make sure that time is in mark as busy for that relative. Why? Because it's a priority to you. It's the same thing with flights. If you're traveling somewhere, whether somebody's picking you up from the airport or dropping you to the airport, you should make sure that you allocate that time towards it. You shouldn't schedule anything. But like I said, it seems that for whatever reason in the African-American community, especially with Gen X, which once again, I said, is a generation of lack of accountability. Anytime you start telling them about certain sacrifices that they did not make, that was a problem. But they love to tell you about the sacrifices they did make for you as far as when it comes to the basics food, clothing, and shelter. Once again, as a millennial myself, and as for Gen Z, we did not ask to be here. So if you brought us here, you should make the sacrifice keyword. You should. Because unfortunately, a lot of them didn't. This here is going to be one of my favorite segments probably in this entire series. So, Uncle Phil says his parents, which were boomers, and his grandparents, which represent the greatest generation, didn't teach me. So why do I have to teach you 
when I didn't get it. And basically, what he's basically saying is, why do I have to be the sacrificial cow? That's basically what he's saying. And I think a lot of Gen X feels this way. Like, they feel like, well, why do I have to be the sacrificial cow? Why do we have to be the sacrificial cow? And like I said, Gen X had one of the greatest opportunities for expansion. The boomers took it as far as they had. They could take it. You know, a lot of them was dealing with wars and all type of other issues. And they made the sacrifices so that Gen X can be in a position to be better. But once again, the rebellious nature and they believe in that, okay, well, I'm going to do it my way. But like I said, they was also distracted because it was about fun. When you're young, when you're fun, you think you're going to live forever. So sometimes you don't make the best decisions when you feel like you're going to live forever. And life is always going to go according to plan. And that's not how life works. But like I said, Gen X was all about having fun. But once again, if you engage in all adult activities, and you produce adult results, do you need to step up and become that adult and make that sacrifice? So, Uncle Phil gives three examples about things that he didn't learn and he feels like, you know, why he has to be a sacrificial cow. Number one, starting a business. So, Uncle Phil owns different businesses that he runs. And like he said, his parents didn't teach him on how to start a business. Okay, that's fair. But you learn how to start a business. So, my question would be, okay, so you know how to start a business, so your children, if your children come to you and they want to start a business, they actually want to learn from you. They're not on some, hey, I know everything, so I don't have to listen to you type of thing, but they're actually coming to you, seeking knowledge, seeking guidance. You're telling me you're going to turn them away and be like, well, your grandparents didn't teach me, so why should I teach you how to start a business? It doesn't make any logical sense. Once again, this is just pushing accountability down the road to invest in money. My parents didn't teach me how to invest money. So why should I teach you? Why should I be the sacrificial cow? Why should I learn about how to invest money? And all these investing philosophies and strategies you child, why should I share that with you? Because my parents didn't share that with me. It goes back to what I talk about, my own personal story. My parents are not good with money. So does that mean that I shouldn't be good with money? No. If I'm ambitious enough and I feel like, and I know money's important, and I want to be good with money and be highly productive with money, then I should learn about money. Yes, would I have liked my parents to teach me about money? Yeah. But like I told you, before, 
I was an inverse learner, so my parents taught me what not to do. And then I became curious, and then I learned. And then I met some kids, you know. You know, be honest, I I met some rich white kids who taught me about money. And I've been blessed to have been in the financial services industry for 10 plus years. So, yeah, I learned about money. And as I said, you know, when my son gets older, I want to teach him about money. And if I decide to have future children, I want to teach them about money as well. Next, the IRS tax code. Okay, so in the United States, we have a governing body with the United States government called the Internal Revenue Service, or IRS for short. And it's basically about how, you know, how the, the government views taxes over this citizens paying taxes. Now, yes, once again, your parents didn't teach you about taxes. Most people don't know about taxes. Here's the reason why tax professionals and accountings in America are very looked at and respected because they understand the tax code. And the tax code is always changing. So you need a tax professional, preferably an accountant, which I'm very grateful that I have one, but you need an accountant to explain these things to you because the tax code is not in simple black and white language. You need a professional to help guide you, lead you, and teach you when it comes to the tax code. But even if you learn certain things from your accountant based on the tax code, you should want to share it with your children as well. Uncle Phil says, some things I had to learn the hard way so should I blame them? And my rebuttal and my response is, okay, yes. Sometimes you have to learn a hard lesson where everybody can't teach you. Like I said, there's three ways to learn. There's trial and error, which is what he's talking about, learning the hard way. There's research, trying to figure things out based on the information that you have before you actually take action. Then, of course, there's the accelerators. The experts, the mentors, the coaches, the consultants, the trainers, and the advisors who can accelerate your growth, who can accelerate your process. So, like I said, my thing is this it's not about blame, but more so about preparation, development, competency, and sufficiency. I'll say it again it's not necessarily about blame, it's about preparation, development, competency, and sufficiency. So let me break those down real quick. Preparation. Preparation is very important for anything in life. Now, yes, granted, I believe in taking the proper time to prepare for certain things. Now, with preparation, you're not going to be able to have a strategy or have a counter move for every single thing that happened. But preparation is important, especially since too, if you're trying to be very effective and efficient with your time, because time is something that number one, we don't know how much we have. Number two, you can't get that back. So part of preparation is being strategic. Two, development. 
once again, this is what this whole, this is the theme of this whole series. It's all about development, leaning in, leaning into preparation. The goal is to develop or to make progress. So your hard learnings will help your kids develop. And that's not saying that you want them to have an easy road. That's not to say that you're going to cripple them. And that every time they have an issue, every time they have a problem, that you just run and jump. No. It just says that you're giving them the best chance for development. So that that can lead into the last two, competency and sufficiency. If you prepare, your preparation is going to help them develop by you training them, teaching them, guiding them, leading them. That's going to help them with great development. The development is going to lead to them being competent because, like I said, competency comes before compensation. So when they become very competent, they'll be able to be independent, uh, self-sufficient adults that can primarily take care of themselves. Now, yeah, they probably still may come here for guidance, but, you know, they won't be so codependent on you. And then sufficiency, which is the highest level of competency, which to me, sufficiency is just basically competency and resourcefulness, my two favorite words. That's what sufficiency is. It's competency and resourcefulness put together. So, you want to make sure that because now uh, I know Gen X is complaining about what we call the boomerang generation. My, my generation, the millennials and Gen, Gen Z, we're called the boomerang generation is because we wasn't fully developed or we wasn't developed. We wasn't given competency and sufficiency. So now we go out into the world, we don't know how to survive, thrive, and be productive in the world. We don't have competency and sufficiency. So now we have to come back home and regroup and rebuild and then try to launch back out there. But that was all because of this. We was Gen X. Then prepare us, develop, and develop us. If we had preparation development, then we will have a high level of competency and sufficiency. Positioning. Positioning is very important. So Uncle Phil mentions they, the boomers, his parents, put me in a position where I had the opportunity to exceed their results. Exactly. Exactly. You hit it right down the head. But once again, us millennials, especially Gen Z, they believe that you didn't do that. You didn't position them. You're just saying that because of society and technological advancements, which I'll talk about here shortly, you feel like because we've advanced technologically as in society, that you feel like, well, you put us in a position to exceed their own results, they meaning Gen X. But not really, and I'm not going back to the competency and the whole 
the whole teaching thing, right? And yes, once again, like I said, there is some ownership on us millennials, and there is some ownership that needs to be taken on Gen Z. But once again, the boomers were the foundation. Gen A should have been expansion, which did not happen. Once again, like I said, technological advances, which is opportunity. But if we wasn't taught, I said this before and I'll say it again, if we wasn't taught basic competency, it's hard to become resourceful and sufficient with these opportunities. First of all, we have to be able to know how to spot opportunity. And then we need to know how to execute on opportunity so that we can have the results that come from the opportunity. But once again, if competency is low and resourcefulness is low, it doesn't matter about the opportunity. We won't know how to take advantage of it. We won't know how to capitalize on it because we quote-unquote wasn't taught about it. Next. Okay, modern societal advancement. But modern, modern societal advancement, you need adaptability and competency. Which, once again, if you are not taught adaptability and competency, it's going to be very difficult to navigate in this modern societal advancement. Gen Z is unappreciative and entitled generation. I've heard this too as a millennial. And when it comes on unappreciation, once again, this is just a difference of perspective. And it's, okay, it is, yeah, it's a difference of perspective, okay. Gen X feels like everything they do should get appreciation. And you should just be grateful just because they're giving it. And anytime you disagree with them, challenge them, want to hold them accountable, you live with us being unappreciative and entitled. Now, yes, once again, like I said, Gen Z is the most entitled generation that we have ever seen. But, as I also mentioned earlier, just because you do the basics, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm unappreciative. But that's Gen X's go-to. Once again, food, clothing, and shelter, the basics. You did that. That was your quote-unquote sacrifice. So, when Gen Z and us millennials hold you accountable in comparison to your counterparts, in different cultures, and we see the differences on how we're behind, and we mention this to you, then you say that we're unappreciative. Once again, this comes down to a lack of accountability. Admit it. Hey, you messed up. You know, you messed up. Like I said, you know, just hold yourself accountable, but they won't do that. So it's, oh, you're being entitled. Like I told you before, a lot of Gen X's believe that 
Okay, just because millennials and just because Gen Z and the number one show up to work and do your job, that that's what you're supposed to do. I'm not supposed to pat you on your, on your back. My parents' generation didn't do that for me. So, so what? Why should I have to pat you on your back and tell you good job? And I appreciate your hard work when that's what I hired you for. That's your job. We feel the same way. Just because you put food on the table, you gave us shelter and clothing, that all of a sudden that you're supposed to get more appreciation because that's your job. It's the same logic. It's the same logic. But as we hear in America, it ain't fun when the rabbit got the gun. Meaning that it's okay when you do it, and it's okay to use that logic when it benefits you. But when it doesn't benefit you, you don't want to use the same logic. Now you want to change the story. You want to change the characters. You want to change the plot. And like I said, it just doesn't work that way. My favorite line. Now, this is very embarrassing. But since we're talking about this, and I'm trying to tell the whole story, let's tell the whole story. So... In the African-American community, there's a famous saying that I'm pretty sure every African-American child and heard once in their life, and they probably will hear it several times throughout their lifetime. And it's something that Gen Z does as a coping mechanism. I mean, all generations do this for the most part, but it seems to be very prevalent in genetics. And the boomers aren't part of this too because I've heard this from boomers as well. Because even my own grandmother has told me this as well. So um, when I mentioned about passing stuff down from generation to generation, unfortunately, this is one of those not so pleasant things that get passed down. And this usually happens when, in this case, Gen X, they get mad. So when they don't want to discuss issues or they don't want to admit that they're wrong or when you've made a good argument. So I'll repeat that again. This infamous line usually comes when Gen X doesn't want to discuss issues, admit that they're wrong, or when you have a good counter-argument to their main argument. And here's the infamous line. I brought you into this world and I will take you out or I can't take you out. Now, why does this have to come to violence? Just because of a disagreement? So, because we disagree, now all of a sudden you want to threaten me and say, oh, well, I brought you here. I can take you out. That makes no sense. No logical sense of it. But that's all emotion. That's all it is. That's all emotion. You don't have the emotional intelligence to defend your argument fully. And now you want to resort to violence. But it's because you're the authority figure or because you're the elder. So you feel like, okay, well, you should always feel respected. 
But a lot of times, too, with older generations, just because you disagree with them, they feel like you're being disrespectful. But then you're raised to have, but then you're raised and taught to have your own opinion, to have your own views instead of what you believe in. But if I challenge you on something, and all of a sudden, I'm being disrespectful, or you want to resort to violence, doesn't make any sense. This is another reason why we're struggling. And why in certain areas we rank at the bottom when it compares to other cohorts and to other cultures. It just, it baffles me. It really does baffle me. It's sad too. And it's a huge problem. It's a huge problem that needs to be fixed. Next rebuttal that the Gen Z young lady brought up. I pay all the bills, okay? That's what you're supposed to do. You're the parent. You brought me here. So you're talking about food, clothing, and shelter. So yeah, you pay all the bills. But the thing is, is that I pay all the bills in this house, so you got to listen to me. Okay. That is true. But at the same time, if you're responsible for somebody then the accountability needs to come with that too. You can't want to be the head honcho or the person in charge of a household and not want to take accountability and responsibility. You want the benefits. You want the reward. You want the praise. You want the accolades. You want all that stuff. But when it comes to accountability and responsibility, you don't want that. I may have said this before, but I had a former director that was like that when I was in corporate, when I was in financial services. When anytime something good happened, he wanted to take all the credit for it. Like he was just, he was just, just this brilliant genius that, hey, yeah, you know, I made that happen. But as soon as we made a mistake or something happened or we had an issue that we need to fix, then it's, oh, well, yeah, somebody on my team, I need to figure out well, who did that and how did that happen. And this is one of my biggest gripes with executives because everybody like that, like executives are so great. Most of them are average or mediocre, if you ask me. They just knew the right people. They knew the right, yeah, it, it was just a part of the network. Or as we said, you was in the right clique. Or you was in the right group. So because you're a part of that group, everybody in the group looks out for people in that group. So if somebody at the top advances, then they're going to make sure that people that's in that same group advance too. Yeah, top priority. In a way, it's called, it can be similar to nepotism. But a lot of executives do that. They love these, they want these big cushy salaries and these benefits and these, all these extra incentives and, and benefits for the, their compensation package. But let something go wrong. Let it get off the track or let it not go the way it's supposed to happen. Then what? The accountability and responsibility went out the window. They want to blame it on their subordinates. When it could have been a leadership issue. Now, yeah, granted, that's not to say that's a, 
you know, subordinates actually probably made a mistake. But you want to be in charge? You want to be the boss? You want to take credit for things? Take credit for the good and take credit for the bad. Once again, because of the frustration, your parents want to kick you out at 18, but you also want to leave at 18. And as much as you being young and you thinking you know everything, a lot of times by them kicking you out at 18, it's going to be tough. Can you get through it? Yeah. You might struggle for a couple of years, but eventually, hopefully, you'll figure it out. But this is, yeah, this is a very uh, tough thing. And I noticed there's two of our other cultures. Usually in other cultures, 18, they're like, yeah, that's too young. Because they know that at 18, you have average competency. They know that most 18-year-olds are underdeveloped, no matter how much they think they know. But Gen X look at it as, okay, well, sink or swim. You don't like it my way? So you go ahead, see if you can do better. But once again, like I said, but if you do do better, and you ain't even got to flaunt it, but it's evidently seen that now you're going to make them feel bad. Now they insecurity now they're um, inadequacy and maybe the incompetence is going to rise to the top like a pie. Like when a pie rises, it's going to be the same way with your parents. And what's even going to sting even worse is because you did it without them. You know how underdeveloped you were. They know how underdeveloped you were. And you went on it and created remarkable results. That's going to sting. And then also to 18, like I said, you may struggle because your adversity tolerances, your adversity tolerance will be tested. So if you have average competency and you are underdeveloped, yeah, you, you definitely will be tested. My advice is don't quit, persevere. Push through, have big goals, and have strong motivation for why you want to achieve those goals. And like I said, if you have to use your parents as motivation, as fuel, then use them as fuel and as motivation. But if you can, try not to quit. Or basically, too, don't stop. Slow down if you have to, but don't stop. So if you need to adjust, make pivots, do what you need to do, but don't quit. A young African-American Gen Z lady, she says, if there were no social media and no internet, most Gen Zs would be broke. And I agree with her a thousand percent. The advent of social media has allowed a lot of people to become influencers and to make great money. But especially going back to Gen X, like I've been talking about, the underdevelopment and, the, the like I said, the low competency and then low resourcefulness leads to low sufficiency. 
But let's take these three areas into consideration. If there was no social media, no internet, what is not being talked about, I think in most communities, but especially in the African-American community, because that's what this series is dedicated towards, the fundamentals of development, oh, correction, the fundamentals of employment, yes, the fundamentals of employment, how employment works from start to finish. There's nobody really teaching this. I don't even really see a lot of career coaches really teaching this. The fundamentals of employment from start to finish. Yeah, you may have people talk about, you know, the the the, the main ones. Oh, they may talk about you hire a career coach. Oh, okay, the, your resume and interviewing. That's it. That's what most people in the career space work on is resumes and interviews. That's it. They don't talk about nothing else. Which is sad. And like I said, especially in our community, African American community. Next, career development. Your parents don't teach you how to advance your career. Once you get your career, once you get in a career, they don't teach you certain things. And they may have done things to advance their career, but you think they share that with you? Nope. Once again, that goes back to, well, I had to learn it. I had to do it. Why I got to be the sacrificial cow and give you the knowledge to advance your career? You can go figure it out yourself. Like I said, bad logic. But another thing is, too, which is something that I wrote, because, like I said, I'm working on a new book now. And I mentioned something in this, and this kind of ties right into it. Wealth, a lot of people think wealth is based on acquisition, meaning that making a lot of money. But wealth is really based on accumulation and not acquisition. I'm going to say that one more time for the people in the back. Wealth is based on accumulation, not acquisition. Why? Because you can accumulate a lot of money. I mean, you, know, you can accumulate a lot of money. But what I meant to say is you can uh, acquire or make a lot of money. You can make a lot of money. But you may not know how to accumulate amount of money. And this goes into this point, which is personal finance management. Because a lot of times, it's not about how much money you make. It's about how much money you keep. I'll say that one more time. It's not about how much money you make. It's about how much money you keep. And rich and wealthy people know this. That's one of their top principles. They understand it's not about how much money we make. We can make a billion dollars in our career. But if I got less than a million dollars to show for it. That's bad personal finance management. And it's something that's not really talked about. But it should. So Uncle Phil's rebuttal to that is this. Y'all have knowledge at your fingertips. What are you complaining about? 
the same reason that y'all don't want to take accountability. That's what they're complaining about. Once again, like I said, you can have opportunity. But if you don't have no competency and resourcefulness, which I'm going to talk about again here, then it doesn't matter. And like I said, the other side of that too, he does have a point. Yes, we do have information at our fingertips. As a millennial and especially Gen Z, there are things you can't go out and learn. But number one, we just want to know, okay, why you didn't want to be the sacrificial child? Why you didn't help us develop? That's what we want to know. We want an answer. We want to know why. Now, like I said, if you come out and be honest with us and just tell us the truth, like I said, this conversation could die down. I don't think it ever go away, but it could die down. But because Gen X loves to have criticism for millennials and especially Gen Z, so Gen Z is like, okay, well, let's turn the accountability thing back around. Like I said, Millennials, I wish we could hold both or even all three generations accountable. There needs to be accountability from Gen X when it comes to accountability. There needs to be accountability. I mean, there needs to be, yeah, there needs to be, there needs to be accountability from Gen X. There needs to be a work ethic from Millennials. And it needs to be this entitlement thing from Gen Z, each generation has an issue that they need to work out, what they need to work on. But once again, with Gen X, anytime you have a different perspective or you voice your opinion, it's considered complaining. That's what Gen X does. Any type of disagreement or if you have a different perspective, you know, all of a sudden, you're quote-unquote complaining. That's what it's labeled as. It's labeled as complaining. But here's the thing. Yes, we may have access to knowledge, right? But knowledge alone is not everything. There's still some fundamental things that you can teach. And shameless plug, but even in my book, my first book, where I talk about the importance of knowledge, how knowledge is important and how knowledge should be the first thing that you seek. But there's 11 more principles in that book. And that last principle is results. So there's a big gap between knowledge and results. A big gap. That's what we're trying to have a conversation about. But all we want is accountability and responsibility. But we can't get that. So hence the reason why we have this situation and why we continue to keep having this conversation is because of that lack of accountability and responsibility. And Tony Robbins says it best, which is my favorite Tony Robbins quote. It is your lack of resourcefulness, not resources. Or, as he also says, 
it is your resourcefulness, not your resources, that will produce results. And like I said before, sufficiency comes from competency and resourcefulness. And when you wasn't, when you were not taught both, it becomes very challenging and difficult. Now, like I said, I'm not letting Gen Z off the hook neither. Because they need to be held accountable to as well because they're entitled. But this is why I say we need to have 100% full transparency, accountability in all three generations. All of them. The reason I'm excluding the boomers is because, like I said, they were the foundation. They had very special challenges that they were dealing with. But for Gen X, Millennials, and Gen Z, yeah, there needs to be accountability. And that's that's what we're missing. There needs to be accountability to all three uh, generations. Uncle Phil gives his perspective on the opportunity with social media for Gen Z. He says, you can stay home with apps and social media. Now, yes, granted, we do live in a modern social world and we do have social media apps that can be accessed 24-7, sometimes with and without a Wi-Fi connection. So, yes, he does make a great point that uh, we can stay home with apps and with social media. Whereas he said in his day, in his generation, you know, they had, they would get a formal job. So there was no social media. There wasn't certain uh, internet benefits that we currently enjoy. So Gen X at that time had, they go get a formal job. Then he goes on to say, we didn't have the opportunities that you currently do. And that could be said about any generation. I mean, the silent generation can go down to the boomers and be like, well, you guys have opportunities that we didn't have. Gen X and, and the boomers can have that same interaction where the boomers go to Gen X and say, well, you guys have opportunities that we didn't have. And then now you have Gen X telling Gen Z, it's like, well, hey, you guys have the opportunities that we don't currently have. And like I said, you know, but I'll say this again. And I know I've said this multiple times throughout this podcast episode, or even this series. While that may be true, competency comes before compensation. And also the Tony Robbins called resourcefulness, not resources, will make you successful. So I get it. Uncle Phil keeps harping on the fact that there's opportunity But if you don't know how to execute on that opportunity, it does not matter. There's always been opportunity. But number one, you have to be able to identify the opportunity. Have the right strategy for the opportunity. And then execute on on that strategy. And that all can be summed up in one word. Competency. So it's not enough just to have opportunity. But if you're not competent to take advantage of the opportunity, it doesn't matter. 
And once again, I personally believe this is an excuse or a valid reason to push accountability down the road. When he mentioned earlier, why are you guys complaining? Don't worry about the past. Worry about what you can do today. Now, granted, you don't want to dwell on the past. You want to learn from the past. You want to learn from history. And you, you know, you do want to focus on the present. You do want to focus on the future because you can't go back and get that time. And that's what he's trying to advocate for. But at the same time, that like I said, there needs to be full accountability. Because and this is just my perspective. It's like I feel like he's trying to put he's trying to pull one over on us and and pull um and for us to just just to just let it go. So they, they ain't gotta be held accountable. Look, okay, like I said, but they won't admit this. Yeah, that might have happened. But let's not focus on that. You need to focus on, instead of worrying about what happened in the past, you need to be focusing on what's currently. And you need to be focusing on your future. But you need to learn from the past. There's a lot of valuable lessons in the past. But like I said, it's, at the end of the day, it's just a lack of accountability. And it's showing it. It's, it's evident. Now, like I said, don't dwell on it. Learn from it and move forward. But... It just seems kind of that if, if we waiting for accountability from Gen X, it hardly may not ever happen. The young African-American Gen Z lady, she mentioned that Gen X did not build generational wealth. She goes on to say that Gen X didn't build generational wealth. Millennials are doing it, and they're providing a foundation. Facts. That's 100% true. It really is. As, like I said, this is specifically prevalent in the African-American community. A lot of genetics did not build generational wealth. And I know Uncle Phil, he has an upcoming rebuttal, but I'm going to get to it now, where he's going to say what well, their parents didn't do it. So just like he said, financial literacy, savers, what is that? Now, just because the previous generation didn't do it, that doesn't mean that currently you shouldn't do it. Like I said before, and I'll say it again, my parents were bad with money. Who knows? They still may be bad with money. But just because my parents were bad with money, does that mean that I should be bad with money? And that should mean that my son and any other future children they may have, that they should be bad with money too? That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And she's right. We are doing it. A lot of us are doing it. Why? Because, like I said, our grandparents didn't do it. I'll give them a pass because they were dealing with way more adversity than our parents or even that we currently had to deal with. So I'll give them a pass. But like I said, Gen X should be the foundation. But as she mentioned, because they're not, now the millennials have to be. 
And now there's certain Gen Zs are like, okay, well, we couldn't learn from our parents, so maybe we can learn from our other older siblings. We can learn from them. And as a millennial and myself, like I said, we take pride in that because we're like, hey, okay, it sucks, but we got to go out there and do it because our parents didn't do it. Like I said, because if we sit around and waiting for them, we're going to waste time. So we got to go out there and do it. And I'm glad that she feels that we can be a beacon of hope or a guide to uh, help uh, Gen Z and the future generations on setting it up so that they can create generational wealth for their families. Uncle Phil's next rebuttal is that most Gen Z and millennials are still living with their mothers. Now, I wonder why that is. We, let's talk about it from both aspects. I, like I said, I've already mentioned this before, but it really comes down to competency, a.k.a. underdeveloped. That's pretty much it. They're underdeveloped, or should I say, we were underdeveloped from zero to 18. We were underdeveloped. Like I said before, Gen X only provided the basis, food, clothing, and shelter, and they felt that that was sufficient enough. So that's why Gen Z, and that's why some millennials are still living with their mothers. But let's 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 talk about it. First of all, let's go paternal. The father's not in the home. So there's certain things that your father should teach you. Your father should have been that skills competency. So I'll go there. Your father should have taught you competency. Your mother should have taught you character. I'm gonna say that one more time. Your father should have taught you competency. Your mother should have taught you about character. That's what should have happened, but it didn't. So on the paternal side of things, like I say, should have taught you competency. But even if your father was not in the home, you still should have had time or your father should have still made you a priority to teach you these things, even if you are not in the same household. Now, paternal, I mean, maternal, correction, maternal. Now, your mother, okay, so your father didn't teach you competency. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but then your mother should have taught you some type of competency. She should have taught you what she did. And she should have helped you develop your character. But once again, underdeveloped. So of course you're still going to be at home with mama. You don't have the character that you need. And you don't have the competency that you need. So you're underdeveloped. It only makes sense that you're still at home with mama. Because your parents set the thermostat for life. They set the standards. 
because you were here first, it is what you allow. Because I, I may have told this story before, but when I was in front of the seven, I was working at the bank. I had one of my teller supervisors. Her son was still at home. He was 35 years old. He was still at home. He wasn't ambitious at all. Now, her daughter, on the other hand, was ambitious a little bit, found a husband, and started a family. And they're doing, they're doing okay. But her son, on the other hand, he's still at home. He's 35. And like I said, you know, not to take a shot, but at the same time, that's the Latino community. In the Latino community, family is important. But I think there's also hindrances as well. Because the family, mama, let you stay as long as you want. You can be 50 years old and still living in your house with your mother. But getting back on track, yes. So, of course, we still going to be at home with mama. Like I said, we don't have the character that we need. We don't have the competency that we need. It just only makes sense. Uncle Phil's next rebuttal is that there were no previous generation of wealth. He goes on to say, my grandparents and parents didn't build no generation of wealth. So it's up to me for me and my kids. Which he's 100% right about that. But let's be full transparent about it. Yes, that may not have been the case. And now like I said it before, just because my parents were bad with money, that doesn't mean that I necessarily have to be bad with money. But the real truth is, is that it wasn't a priority for Gen X. Like I said, I'm going to keep it 100% transparent. It wasn't a priority. That's the cold, hard truth. It wasn't a priority. So let's talk about it. There was no generational wealth because there wasn't a priority. Well, why was generational wealth not a priority? Because financial freedom wasn't even a priority. Well, we didn't achieve financial freedom because financial independence wasn't even a priority. And then from financial independence, financial stability wasn't even a priority. So what was a priority for Gen X during their 20s to maybe even their 30s? For, so, for, so from 20 to 40, what was a priority? I'll tell you exactly what it was. It was social and sex. That's what it is, AKA fun. Gen X was focused on being very social, going to clubs, going to different establishments, going to restaurants, going different places, having different experiences with different people. I believe they're a highly extroverted generation. So it was all about social. It was all about having a good time. 
Where's the latest party? Where where can I find the latest fun? So it's all about being social. And then two, sex. The pleasurable fun. What new romantic partner can I meet? Or what new romantic or sexual experience can I have with the person? That's what it was. I mean, look at it. The stats don't lie. Millennials, we were the second biggest baby boom after the boomers. I mean, the reason why they were called baby boomers is because the troops that was returning back from war, there was a big boom in baby making. And then in the 80s and the 90s, this is, we were the second generation, iteration of that with Gen X. So, like I said, it wasn't a priority because it was all about having fun. It was all about being social and it was all about having sex. But when you mix social and sex together, of course you're going to get a lot of children. And then now with Gen Z too, like she said, there's no generational world. Because she's looking to her counterparts and she's looking like, well, why didn't our parents build well? Why are we starting to see our older siblings build well, but our parents didn't attempt to build no well? And like I said, it's because it wasn't a priority. There was no financial stability as a goal. There was no financial independence as a goal. So there's no financial freedom as a goal. Hence, there will be no generational wealth. But I believe that Gen X is also going based on previous generations. And they want to use the excuse that, well, my parents didn't do it. My parents, my grandparents didn't do it. So why should I? Going back to what I talked about earlier about being the sacrificial cow. Why do I have to be the sacrificial cow? My parents wasn't a sacrificial cow. My grandparents wasn't a sacrificial cow. So why me? But once again, it comes down to it's a different era. It's a different environment. You should want better for your kids. And that's not to say that they don't. And once again, this is not about being entitled. Well, I'm going to speak for the millennials at this point in time. It's not about being entitled. It's all about, like I said, we just wanted a foundation. That's all we wanted. All we want is we want either a foundation or we want some accountability. In the sense that we're not going to get both. So it's looking like that's where Gen X stands. Uncle Phil's last rebuttal is that my previous generations did everything they could for me, and I thank God for them. That's not 100% true. You have this everything conversation. That's not true, because we have the power of decision-making. So somebody let us say, oh, well, they did everything they could. No, they didn't. They did what they wanted to. Like I said, let's just call a spade a spade and be 100% honest. Oh, I did everything. No, you didn't. You did what you wanted to do. 
Because if you did everything, you would have got a different result. I'm going to say that one more time. If you did everything, you would have got a different result. Most of the time, all of us don't do everything because we all have limits. We all have standards. We all have values. So that whole everything, it's a bunch of baloney. Like I said, your parents did what they wanted to do. And it seems like you guys did what you wanted to do too. But as I mentioned in the previous segment, all we wanted was either a foundation to build off of, as you had a foundation to build off of, or accountability. Those are the only two options. And like I said, it seems like the third option that Gen X wants to create is you're not getting either. Let the dead stay dead and let's keep it moving. Now it's in your hands. You need to stop focusing on that. Just worry about what you can do to make your life better. But like I said, I, I agree with that halfway. But like I said, you still need to understand the past. But part of the reason why, like I said, this is big is because for two reasons. The reason why millennials and Gen Z keep bringing it up is like I talked about before. Gen X loves to criticize the millennials and Gen Z, but you didn't provide any competency. I'm going to say that one more time. They want, they as in Gen X, loves to criticize millennials and Gen Z without providing competency. So, how can you criticize somebody without providing competency? Oh, you want to know how? Easy. You should still just do it anyway. It's just like in corporate. You have these corporate companies where their trained development programs are lightless and terrible. And then the employees are not producing the results that these leaders and these executives want. But then they want to know why. It's because you're not increasing their competency. Like I said, you criticize them, but you want them to have low competency so that you can get them low compensation. I'll say that one more time. You criticize them, you don't provide the competency so that you don't have to provide the compensation. That's what's going on. And it's the same thing that these Gen X African-American parents are doing with the millennials and Gen Z. We get criticized but we wasn't provided competency. But we were provided with the basics, though. So, yeah, it's the whole, I did everything. That's not true. And they know it's not true, but they just want to keep up this facade. My grandparents, the boomer, they didn't do everything. They did what they wanted to do. My parents, a late boomer and an early Gen Xer. My mom didn't do everything. She did what she wanted to do. Me, my, it's my turn as a millennial. 
I'm trying to, I can't do everything for my son. And like I said, any other future children, I can't do everything. But I can do what I can. I can do what I want to do. I'm trying to do more. So it's not true. I mean, you can go, you can go down to the, the big three. Well, we'll start with, well, money, right? Everybody, Tony Robbins talks about this and other experts talk about this. When people be like, oh, I've been trying to make money. I did everything. Everything? Yeah, I did everything. You ain't do everything. Because if you try every single thing, you will figure a way out to make money. That was conducive to your competency and your uh, your personality. So you didn't do everything. People that use the everything excuse, they do that so that you can relieve the pressure, so that you'll leave them alone, and that so that uh, you can move on to the next subject, so that you can hurry up and bury this situation. That's why they say everything, because they don't want to be interrogated. And they subconsciously and psychologically, they know this. Hey, look, I'm going to tell them that I tried everything so they don't press me on this. So we don't have to keep going down this conversation because it's, it's uncomfortable. Because I don't have self-awareness and I don't want to have accountability. So because I don't want to do it, I'm just going to say I tried everything so they can leave me alone. That's why people be like, oh, I tried everything. But like I say, and even Tony Robbins says, your decisions decide your destiny. So decisions before destiny. Health. Oh, I tried everything to lose weight. Did you really? Yeah, I tried everything. No, you didn't. Because you would have figured a way out to lose weight. Once again, it comes down to decision or choices. Relationships. Oh, I try, I try everything to make my relationships work. I tried everything to reach out to this person. I tried everything to amend this relationship. No, you didn't. You did what you wanted to. So, yes, the whole I did everything type of thing, anytime, like I said, it's just a facade. It's just an excuse. And they just did what they wanted to do. Not everything. And the last segment for part two. And we'll end this with the Young African American uh, Gen Z woman, where she talks about the whole the whole college thing, go to college. And as a millennial, I was taught that too. Go to college, go to college, go to college. Now, I didn't have the competency, but I had the academics. And when I graduated from high school, my mother gave me an ultimatum. It was either go to into the workforce or into the marketplace or go to school. Now, because of the current resources and at the time, my underdeveloped resourcefulness, I decided to go to college. But what the young African-American Gen Z lady is saying is that they tell you to go to college, but there's no full explanation. Once again, I get it. Maybe this previous generations didn't have to give a full explanation about things, but I think context is important, not just content. I'll say that one more time. Context is also important, not just content. 
just like in grammar, right? Syntax is important, which is just the order in which words are placed. Syntax was is still one of my greatest weaknesses when it comes to writing. Even though I love to write, I'm creative. Syntax is something that I struggle with. And it was something that I struggled with in school. Well, in this case, syntax is similar to context. I'll say that one more time. Syntax is similar to context. So syntax, I give you an example, or I use the example that Tony Robbins uses all the time. Johnny bit the dog is one. The dog bit Johnny. Like he says, the order in that syntax of those two sentences is going to be a different experience for Johnny. So Johnny biting the dog is going to be different experience than the dog bit Johnny. And it's the same thing with context for college. So if I say go to college, that's very vague. There's really no syntax there. It's just go to college. And what's wound up happening is is that you have the following. So number one, college debt. College debt is at an all-time high. I believe it's at two trillion. I could be wrong. My numbers could be off. You guys can go back and fact check that, but yes. College debt in the United States is at I believe two trillion dollars. So we have all this college debt. And with the African uh, the African American women in our society, they have the highest degrees and they also have the most debt. So that's an issue. Now, you hear people talk about scholarships in the African-American community, but there's not enough education on scholarships. But our parents can look at it, hey, look, you want to go to college? Even though you told me to go to college, but then again, it still is my decision. Then you got to figure out these scholarships. And for most of us in the African-American community, um, most of our scholarships are going to be uh, athletic, not academic. I'll say that again. Most scholarships for African-Americans to go to college is athletic, not academic. Next, um, also something that should be emphasize too when you go to college is discipline over partying. There should be more discipline over partying, at least 2x in ratio. When I was in college, I didn't really do hardly no partying, really. It was very little. No, maybe that's just been a me. I was ambitious. I was focused. Because I was trying to help you get in and get out. 
I was trying to do my four years and get out. Not only that, I wanted good grades. I wanted the good results. I was willing to put in the work. I wanted to hurry up and get my life back. I mean, it's a great feeling, but if I could, but all the things that I've learned, if I could have learned, like I've been learning now, with having this cognition, these insights that I have now, if I could have learned all of this now without going to college, I would have done several times over. I mean, I've learned more after college than before college, or during college, should I say. So the first four years after college, I learned way more than the first four years in college. I'll say that one more time. My first four years after college, I learned way more and a way greater investment than the four years that I spent in college. But yeah, now with Gen Z, Gen Z is just repeating Gen X's patterns. A lot of Gen X wasn't disciplined in school. So now you have some Gen Z's are not disciplined in school. But yeah, there needs to be more discipline over partying when it comes to college and educational institutions. Next, now that you have graduated, monetizing your degree, nobody's talking about this. I haven't seen a course or nothing. Nobody talks about how to, in like in full detail, how to monetize your degree. Nobody talks about this. It's interesting. Like I said, I mean, looking back now, I can probably teach a course on it or how you actually can monetize degrees. But like I said, degrees just mean completion. That's all it really means. I mean, I did a video on YouTube talking about, I think it's like six or seven reasons why a degree is so important. But the number one reason why degrees are so important is because of completion. That's it. It shows that you know how to complete something. It shows that you know how to start something and you know how to finish it. That's all a degree means. So when you're maybe on a project or maybe you have goals or maybe you're in um, in corporate Okay, I'll give a better example, right? From a small business ownership or even from a entrepreneur standpoint, right? So in business, let's just say, if you're trying to hire people to help you, whether that's employees, investors, partners, whatever, by having a degree, you show to everybody that you know how to complete stuff. That's basically what your degree means. So, like I said, you're showing your employees, your investors, your partners that, hey, okay, this person has a degree. And like I said, it's not necessarily about the degree that you have. It just shows that, number one, that you know how to complete things, you know how to get results, you know how to get stuff done. And it, it shows a little bit of authority. 
because usually people that are in a position of authority, they know how to get stuff done. Now, that's not to say that you can't be successful without a degree because a lot of people that have been successful without a degree. But it just means that you have to be better at communication. You have to be better. Yeah, you have to be better at communication. Full, full, full context communication. So what does that mean? So if you don't have a degree, you have to be good at branding. You have to be good at marketing. You have to be good at. You have to be good at networking. You have to be good at advertising. I'll say that one more time. You can still achieve success without a degree, but you need to be good at communication. Full communication, meaning you got to be good at branding. You got to be good at marketing. You have to be good at networking. And you have to be good at advertising to compensate for that degree. Because that degree has all four of those embedded in them. So, like I said, you can choose your path. You can choose to get a degree or some type of certification or some type of, um, go through some type of curriculum that shows that you know how to get, you know how to complete things, or you need to um, be good at full contextual um, communication. I mean, let's look at some of the biggest companies in the world. Let's start with Apple, right? Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak are both college educated. Now, yeah, Steve Jobs' wisdom and insights and intuition exceeded Reed College. But he still went. Now, granted, Steve Jobs... I don't think finish. Yeah, he didn't finish. He dropped out. But part of what, but what Steve Jobs didn't know, part of the reason also Steve Jobs struggled and he had to go get good at branding, marketing, networking, advertising was because he didn't have that degree. So he overcame it. I think Steve Wozniak was educated though. Mark Zuckerberg with Facebook, right? Zuck was at Harvard, right? I believe he may have dropped out, but once again, he had to go develop full context. Bill Gates, same thing. Bill Gates didn't have a degree, but he had to go develop full communication. But if you look at Google, for example, right? Larry Page and Sergey Brin, they met at Stanford. They graduated from Stanford. You don't think that helped them with getting funding for Google? So you may say, Joe, you mentioned way more examples of people that didn't graduate or have that completion. That's true. And then, yes, my point was... And this part right here was to say about, you know, the whole college degree thing. But like I said, college degree is just completion. But they 
ones that don't have a college degree, they just chose the harder route. And like I said, it, it, it worked out great for them. You just got two routes. You can take the easier route, you can take the harder route. But at the end of the day, no matter which route you take, you still need continual education or continual learning, which is principle number two in my book. So whether you go full text communication or whether you go degree, you still need more development and continual learning after that. Next, tying into, you know, discipline over partying, which is sacrificing delayed gratification. You're going to have to learn that. And college teaches you that. That's another thing that college teaches you is sacrifice, delayed gratification. You may want to go out and party with your friends over the weekend, but you got a very important paper or you got to meet with your group to get this assignment done so that you can complete the overall project. So, yeah, that's something that definitely needs to be talked about is sacrifice versus delayed gratification when it comes to, okay, going to college. Parents should be given master classes on things that they should know as far as, you know, going to college. And then two, career strategy after graduation, which is the second part of monetizing your degree. So the first part of monetizing your degree is, okay, what careers you may want to use where you can monetize your degree. The careers. Part two, the strategy is actually, like the actual strategy execution of turning that dream into reality or that goal into reality of actually physically manifesting, monetizing your degree. That is how it should be done. But I want to say thank you. Once again, if you made it to the end of this podcast episode, if you're listening to me right now, I want to say thank you for listening to part two. And I look forward to seeing you in the final installment of part three. Take care and have a good day. This concludes today's episode. We hope you really enjoyed yourself and you learned something from this episode. We want you to take those insights and these strategies and this blueprint and go out and execute them so that you can achieve your dreams and your goals in half the time or half the stress. Once again, thank you for listening to the Paradise of Perspectives podcast and we look forward to seeing you in another episode.